WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 1st. The show is brought to you by our supporters at Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their support of the show. My name is Ethan Frank. It is a snowy Syracuse November morning. What more could you ask for? And I'm joined by Jordan Leonard. As always, Jordan, how are you? I'm doing great. It was Kind of a shock when I woke up on November 1st to see snow out the window, but it's a crazy thing. I texted my parents in Florida. This is the time where it starts. You can never text me about the temperature in Florida from here on out the rest of the winter when it is officially snowing in Syracuse. Short season officially over unless you're at the gym or you're in your own home. Um, uh, It is in the 40s and the 30s when I left my house this morning. It is uh, it is no longer a time where I can look out the window and say, look at this beautiful fall foliage, which, you know, it seemed like you didn't believe me last week because when you came over to my house the other day, you were like, oh, you actually really do have nice foliage out the window. <laughs> so it's, it's this is just telling me that everything I say to you, you may not actually believe. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true. Well, you could you might still be able to wear shorts on the way on the way to the gym to play some basketball, too, but. Yes, uh, did that did that yesterday. Uh, basketball, a great activity uh, on, on Tuesday evenings. Um, but speaking of basketball, uh, Syracuse men's and women's basketball played a couple of exhibition games. The men's team uh, last Friday has their second one tonight, Wednesday. And then the women's team played its only exhibition on Tuesday evening. Starting with the men's squad, the big news was that Judah Mintz did not play for precautionary reasons. Um, it seems like he, he's got a, as Dino would say, a little owie going on, maybe turned his ankle or something in practice. He's got some sort of a knock, uh, but it seems like it's just first caution and he should be okay, especially for the opener on Monday, November 6th, which is five days from now. I think I'd be surprised if I saw him play, uh, in the game against the college of St. Rose today, Wednesday, um, but what were your what were your takeaways from that game, Jordan? I was I was flying back from Virginia Tech, so I, I didn't get to see a whole lot of it. Yeah, obviously Judah Mintz not playing takes a, an avenue out of that. But what I was interested, JJ Starling playing all, all forty minutes um, was interesting in an exhibition. Um, but he looked great. He's very athletic. Ten points, six boards, six assists. He can really do anything. This was, I think, a game for him to get used to 
controlling the ball a little bit without maybe Judah on the floor because he might not do as much of that when Judah comes onto the floor. So I thought that was a good job by Adrian Autry to get him to get get that experience maybe when Judah isn't on the floor. And I, I saw a very diverse roster. I mean, I know it was an exhibition. It was against Damon, but Kyle Cuff Jr., three threes, was very intense on defense. The Quadir Copeland stock, I mean, the, the the stock prices skyrocketed after the I mean, exhibition. as the, as the, as the as the principal owner of uh, of all the real estate of the real estate on Quadir Copeland Island, people are coming to me looking to buy you know condos, houses, apartments, and the price for them just the, the demand is so high. I have to keep raising prices. I, I I can't blame them. Twelve points, nine assists, five boards. He's He's a very interesting player because he brings size. I think he's like 6'5", 6'6". He can guard like pretty much every position from one to four, maybe even a five if he really need him to. He can push the basketball in transition. He can pass. He can score. Doesn't have an outside shot as much, but I mean, he just brings the intensity to the floor that is is big for Syracuse, especially if he's going to come off the bench. That's that punch off the bench within the, within the first couple minutes of the game that Syracuse could really use. Only winning by 13, though, a bit concerning, but uh, a, a win is a win. Outscored in the second half. We will uh, we'll see what the rotations are are in the second game. I'm, I'm curious to see um, if Autry goes with Sterling for 40 minutes again um, and, and how he he delegates. Uh, Justin Taylor played well in the first game as well. See um, if he's uh, continues to be in the starting lineup in replacement of, uh, of Judamans. On the women's side, you had a, an up-close look at that game uh, on Tuesday. What were your big takeaways from seeing Felicia Liggett Jack back on the sidelines? Yeah, there were two big takeaways. Georgia Woolley didn't play. Um, she's coming back from a off-season injury. She'll be fine, but she didn't play in the in the one exhibition game. Um, but Deja Fair was Deja Fair. She's a bucket. She can get what anything that she wants on the court at any moment of time. Um, but also Sophie Burroughs, absolute deadly three-pointer. She might be the best three-pointer, three-point shot on campus right now, even better than De'Asia Fair. Six of nine from beyond the arc. Ethan, you're, you're saying you yourself. Obviously, but... <laughs> you obviously did not see the performance I put up last night. Ethan, six of nine in an exhibition game, and it was a first collegiate action. She looked very comfortable. It was very impressive to see. The only thing that you could bring up that was a down point for Syracuse was that the front court did look pretty rough in terms of getting rebounds. Syracuse gave up, I'm pretty sure, the total of 23 offensive rebounds to St. Rails. Now, some of them come on air balls where it's hard to box out and all that stuff, but they 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 did not crash the glass as much as they needed to, and the forwards definitely do need to play better. Um, and, and on that point, actually, another freshman, Alyssa Latham, I think is number 72 recruit in the class last year. She's a freshman as well. She played awesome. I know, again, it's an exhibition. They're going to play better competition moving forward. But if those two freshmen, Sophie Burroughs and Alyssa Latham, can really star for Syracuse to go along with Asia Fair and Georgia Woolley, this team is going to have the star power to score. It's just whether they can play defense and crash the glass enough to win. The Orange opened their season on Tuesday evening. So you got a men's game on Monday a women's game on Tuesday, a men's game on Wednesday, and then a women's game on Friday in the Dome. And then football. Uh, and then football at Yankee Stadium on Saturday. And, you know, Jordan, thank you so much for teeing me up there. That's a great <laughs> transition uh, to, to football. Syracuse gets blown out by Virginia Tech. I was there. It was, it was, I mean, it was, it could not have been I more. I was open. there. <laughs> it, it was, I mean, it, it was bad again. 
it was terrible again. I Dino and Dino Babers, Garrett Schrader, Dan Valari after the game took accountability and said the coaches are putting us in positions to succeed and we're not executing. And this is the same thing we've heard for for four straight weeks now. And I, I am just having a really hard time finding where the disconnect is other than just a, a lack of talent or, or preparedness from this team right now. Yeah. Um, and, and the two that you mentioned, obviously, well, execution, but the lack of talent or the lack of preparedness, all of it at the end of the day falls on the coaches. I mean, yeah, these are college athletes. They're not professional athletes. You have to coach them, put them in positions to succeed and coach them how to execute. If they're not executing, that is their fault, the player's fault to some extent. But that's also on the coaches. It's an indictment on they're not coaching them well enough to execute in games. Now, yes, with three games against way better talent, that's one thing. But Virginia Tech is very comparable. You said it before the bye that the offense was going to get better because of the defenses that they played. Well, Virginia Tech's defense probably put that on the bulletin board because Syracuse had zero rushing yards total, and I, I think a total of 137 total yards. And they looked abysmal all day except for maybe one touchdown drive in the third quarter. It, it it's so it's so hard to pinpoint what is wrong because it's a combination of multiple different facets. But the one answer can't just be execution because if it was execution, then you wouldn't have executed the first four games. Like what happened from the first four games that you were executing so well that now they're not executing at all against no matter the opponent, whether they're good or mid in the ACC. It's it's deflating. It's it's frustrating. And I'll say uh, I'll, I'll say it right now. I, I think if Syracuse loses by more than a touchdown to Boston College on Friday night, that Dino Babers will not be the coach on Saturday. I, I, I don't see I don't see how a, you can lose a fifth straight game for the second consecutive year all by more than one score this in 2023 and lose to probably your biggest rival at home. On yeah. a on a Friday night where you're honoring one of the best players in the history of the program in Dwight on ESPN Freeman. once again, yeah, in the history of the program, and you don't make some sort of change. I mean, if if it's not Dino, then it's got to be Jason Beck, yeah. uh, because it's been the offense that has been the issue here. <laughs> Here's um, the question, though. I mean, you, you, Jason Beck's offense hasn't been working, so like you put him to interim head coach, like. There's I think that, Rocky but... Long. I think Rocky Long would become the interim head coach. Oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, I could I could tell you in terms of context to how bad this four game losing streak has been. Our 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 best friend of the program, Brent Axe, on his podcast earlier this week, came up with the stat that the last that Syracuse has been outscored by 116 total points in the last four games in, the, in a four game losing streak. The last time that it was more was 1948. Syracuse was outscored in a four-game losing streak by 121 points in 1948. Reeves Basinger was the coach. That was before Coach Schwartzwalder came to them. That was three years after World War II. So this is pretty historically bad football the last four weeks of play for Syracuse. Bad. Really, really bad. And the team they're playing on Friday night is Boston College. We had the chance to catch up with Scott Mutrin former Eagles quarterback, now an analyst for the Boston College radio broadcast each and every week. He had a lot to say about the Eagles, the state of college football, and we even talked about some some Syracuse food recommendations for his trip to Central New York. Hope you enjoy. Enjoy. 
We now have the pleasure of being joined by Scott Mutrin. He's a football analyst for Boston College Games, former Eagles quarterback. Scott, how are you doing on this Wednesday morning? I'm doing great, Ethan. Great to join you guys. Always good to have the uh, Syracuse students coming in and chatting with them before these games. It's always been a nice, nice treat along the way. So good to see you guys. A pleasure having you on the show. Uh, let's talk about Boston College a, a little bit, a team that's won four games in a row. So it's been a, a, a pretty much the exact opposite of what we've seen here in Syracuse over the last four, a team that's won four in a row versus a team that's gotten blown out in four straight games. I guess, you know, plain and simple, why is, is Boston College playing their best football of the year right now? Well, I think they kind of identified who they are. Um, you know, when you started the season, you were a different type of team with Emmett Moorhead, a quarterback. Thomas Castellanos rises onto the scene and has done some uh, amazing things since he started. Uh, I think when you see that you have an experienced offensive line with the two transfers that have come in with Kyle Hergel and Logan Taylor to solidify the left side, they really found out the type of team that they are. And, you know, you're never the same year in, year out, right? You always got to re-identify each team. And, it takes some time to do that because you don't have the luxury of preseason football like the NFL. So it, it takes some time for them to um, make the adjustments and figure out who they are and then build you know game plan around that and to do to find out those strengths and really accentuate them and then continue to build and grow from from the type of team you're going to be that year. Coming off of the slow start and obviously on a four game win streak, what has been the most impressive uh, improvement that the team as a whole has made to kind of parlay that into the four-game win streak um, right now? Well, I think they've really embraced who they are offensively, where it's they're going to use the offensive line in, in a myriad of ways uh, to run the football consistently. If you look, they've, you know, they're number one in the ACC in running the football. So that's part of their identity. But, in, you know, the, you could say, well, other BC teams have done that in the past. Well, they also have the ability to throw the ball, too. They're averaging over 200 yards passing a game as well. So you're able to do some things and keep defenses on their heels and, and use the quarterback as a weapon in the running and passing game. And then defensively, I, I think what's been the biggest uh, transformation for them is adding some uh, multiplicity and some complications uh, to their to their defensive fronts and not being afraid to get after quarterbacks and other teams for fear of giving up big plays because, you know, before you're worried about giving up points because you didn't think you're going to be able to score with people. But now the defense is playing kind of, you know, pinning their ears back for lack of a better term, use that cliche um, to go try to make some plays and be aggressive. Cause they know that even if they give up a score here, that the offense has the capabilities of, of putting a lot of points on the board, you know, they're averaging over 30 points a game. So the defense is not afraid to go out and try to make a play. And I think that's, that's something that they've needed to do. You like to think that, you know, BC players are smart kids. They can handle that on the defensive end to add some, uh, to add some complexity. So, you know, that's what that's what they've done. And you, you've seen that kind of, especially coming out of the bye week against Georgia Tech, they they changed some things up and, and added some pressures and different looks. And one of one of the biggest reasons that and concerns that they had to do with it is they weren't winning enough on first and second down. I believe in the beginning of the year, they were one of the bottom teams in the country in their first and second down performance. And that didn't allow their third down pressure packages to really take effect because most teams were in third and one to three. So when you're able to get in third long situations, you're able to use some of those different, uh, whether it's blitz packages, whether it's zone dogs, whether it's, um, you know, man coverage, whether it's, uh, you know, staying back and, and dropping eight and, and only rushing. And you're able to do a bunch of different things that way. So they, they've really kind of taken that to heart and, and really spent a lot of time on that. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to evolve in the last four games. 
Going back to the game against Florida State in week three, uh, this, that's a Seminoles team that if the college football playoff was this weekend would be in based on the rankings that came out on, on Tuesday evening. Why was Boston College able to keep it so close with one of the best teams in the country after, you know, uh, I was at the game when Syracuse played in Tallahassee and it was 41 to three. What was what were the Eagles able to do that kept them in a game against one of the best teams in the country? Well, I think a couple things happened. Florida State may have stepped off the gas a little bit uh, when they got a lead in, in, in the second half. BC jumped on them a little bit. The unfamiliarity with Thomas Castellanos and what he liked to do posed a lot of problems for Florida State. If you look at that game, you'll see that there were, I think BC was in 12, third, and eight plus uh, situations. And those are usually anywhere between 10 to 15% conversion. And Thomas Castellanos converted at a 75 to 80% clip. So one, that was absolutely mind-blowing for the Florida State defense. Um, and they didn't know what to do. He kind of had him in a flummox because BC uh, would run him. They would drop back, and then he'd break contain. He'd, he'd throw the ball because they'd protect him. The offensive line did a really good job that game. So Florida State didn't really know what to do. They didn't know whether to pressure, whether to sit back. Um, BC also got a turnover where they were able to recover a fumble for a touchdown. And they, they got it to, to a close game. And they were, they were right there in the end. But, you know, they had a lot of penalties in crucial times um, in that game. If you look back, there were a lot of, you know, second and third and fives that turned into third and 10 and third and 15s. Uh, so over the, the course of the game, that kind of is what hurt them the most. But I think the ability of the offense to, to really put Florida State on their heels and they didn't really know what to do. And then the defense to be able to make that one big play and get a turnover. If you can turn over and score in college football, that's going to change momentum for a while. And I think that was what it was. Florida State, very talented team. So, um, but BC did a, did a good job of containing them in the second half, and they did a really good job of containing them on third down. Florida State was, memory serves me, I want to say one for eight or one for nine on third down. So if you're able to get off the field in that way, uh, that's, a, that's a big help, especially for your offense. And an offense like BC that really likes and wants to be on the field a lot. Castellanos, since um, starting um, earlier this year, has been one of the biggest players on BC's roster. I think he's third in, in the ACC in rushing as a quarterback, or just generally, yep. but as a quarterback. Um, what has been the most impressive thing that you've seen from his development since he got start number one to where he is right now, riding that four-game winning streak for the Eagles? I just think I like to call him an eraser, right? Because he's able to erase a lot of mistakes and, uh, and able to erase people if they run a wrong route, if they miss a block, um, if the defense you know has great coverage or sends a, a great pressure, he's able to erase it from just his ability to never let a play die. It's also kind of some of the things that can be frustrated with him. If you've seen like with the interceptions and turnovers he has, he's not afraid at any part of the field um, to try and make a play. Sometimes you got to learn to live and fight another day, but sometimes you know that ability to to make a play at any time. Uh, is, is something that is is unique. You can't take it away from him. He's special. You know, offenses like to talk about being on schedule, right? Like first and second down, getting three to four yards so you can stay on schedule. Like I think with with BC as it is right now with Castellanos, there's never a schedule with him because I've seen him convert second and 25. I've seen him convert third and 18. Um, he's special in, in that ability. You'd like to see him be a little more consistent in the passing game. But a dynamic a playmaker, man, I haven't seen much like him. He, he reminds me a lot, and some of it's the number and the stature, but he's not as – I would say as fast as Kyler Murray, but if you look at the build and the way in which they play, it's quite similar. 
Moving holistically a little bit, a, a topic we've been discussing here on the on the show the past couple of weeks, specifically as it relates to Syracuse, but I think it applies you know somewhat to Boston College too. When you look at football in the Northeast and the changing landscape of of collegiate athletics, talking about you know recruiting, NIL, transfer portal, um, I, I would think that BC has some of similar you know issues when it comes to getting players to come play in the Northeast that that Syracuse does. How do you see this changing landscape apply to, to Boston College, especially as the ACC now moves forward with the 17-team schedule model it announced the other day. Right. Well, you obviously did some homework on me because you obviously know I'm on the uh, the NIL collective for, for BC. I'm one of the board members there. So um, it, it's, been an, it's been an issue. And it all kind of started with Zay Flowers, to tell you the truth, because there's Zay had an opportunity to go uh, – to a school down south, uh, they offered him a chance to go, you know, play there, and we didn't want to lose him. And we, you know, the other board members came up with a, with a plan, to kind of put this together. Uh, you know, Jeff Halfley supported it. Uh, you know, obviously know it's needed, and we came together and raised some money. Now, what you sell there at, at, at BC is not only the education and where you're at is the opportunity after you're done with your career to come back and be connected to a lot of the alums and have the opportunity to find what it is career-wise. Honestly, I tell all the guys I want them to play for as long as they can. It's the NFL, CFL, XFL, USFL, overseas, go do that. Um, but there, there also needs to be, you know, you need to be competitive in that to give some guys some money. And you may not be able to give top dollar, but what we gave Zay Flowers was a competitive um, ability to stay at BC he stayed in an offense and he was familiar with a quarterback he was familiar with um, an environment in which he was familiar with where he was the focal point. He ends up having a record breaking year ends up being a first round pick where if he would have come out the year before was, I think he was a third or fourth round graded. So he may have given up money on the front end, but in the long end, in, in the long end being a year, which isn't that long in the long end, he ends up making more money for staying at Boston College and being a focal point. And that's something that schools like BC and Syracuse really, really need to do. Hey, you can go there, but are you going to fit? You're a hired gun. What's the culture like of the team? What happens if you have a lot of hired guns in the team and things don't start going your way? Do you lose the locker room? You know, you saw some of that in Texas A&M last year, right? They end up being four and eight and they had a $20 million team or, or something. I mean, don't quote me on that, but you know what I mean? They paid a lot of money. So culture is important. Um, environment's important where you are in the offense. Like what type of offense are you running? What type of defense are you running? How are you, how am I going to be a focal point? Am I going to do all this? So you can get opportunities to, to make some money. And we we're raising money for all our athletes at BC because that's something that's important to us because we think that if we want to be a consistent athletic program, you need to be able to be competitive in this space. Not a lot sure, of people are, are supportive of it, but you, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be in the mix. You gotta be in the mix if you want to, if you want to compete. Yeah, sorry for jumping in there. Just a, it, it's right. a it's a really interesting topic because Syracuse just announced its its NI, official NIL collective a few weeks ago called Orange United, and now you know every time I open Twitter, I'm scrolling and seeing a different athlete on campus, whether it be on the football team or the men's soccer team or on the volleyball team, saying you know help support us with Orange United. We got this this collective going. Um, so in terms of, of what you guys have going on at, at Boston College, was the Zay Flowers situation kind of a, a one-off, or is that something you're trying to do for, for every single athlete, specifically related to football now? It was not a one-off. It was a mobilization, a mobilization that if we're going to remain competitive, we need to start this collective. So 
he was the reason that it got started, but it's, it's for all athletics. It's not just football. Um, you know, we support basketball team, supported women's lacrosse, which has been a big, uh, you know, a big a focus of ours, all the athletes, uh, you know, even some track and field, it's all depends on the support that alums want to give. They can come and give to friends of the Heights, which is the name of our collective, and they can designate what sports they want to give it to, or they can just give it to the collective as a whole. So, I mean, it's, uh, it takes some time. You guys are going to see, there's going to be some fits and starts. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what does the school have to do with it? Well, the school really doesn't have anything to do with the BC. We're not affiliated with BC because we can't be, that's not how it works. Um, so, um, it's, it's slow going and people want to support it, but they definitely want to learn more about it. Even though it's been around a couple of years, um, I've been talking about this for years. Uh, so you knew it was coming and now you just have to adapt. You talk about the the BC women's lacrosse team. I think Syracuse knows they got a lot of talent on their roster after last season. Um, but you talked about the coach and Max. part of <laughs> part of recruiting is obviously recruiting to the Boston College area. But Coach Halfley, um, five and three this year, one win away from a bowl, coming off of a three and nine season, and then before that, two six win seasons. Um, what is the temperature uh, on Coach Halfley uh, with BC fans, and what are kind of his his strengths and weaknesses as a head head coach? Yeah, I think Jeff's, Jeff's, first of all, Jeff's a great person. Uh, he's a very good coach, very good schematically in, in what he does. The issue in today's college football landscape is head coaches don't get to coach as much. You're constantly recruiting, you're a CEO, your time is being pulled in so many different directions that when, as an X's and O guy, you're almost missing a lot of time in the, in the meetings because of all your other responsibilities. And now with the transfer portal, and with NIL stuff, you're re-recruiting your team every year on top of the high school recruiting, on top of the transfers coming. There's a lot of responsibilities on his plate. And I think for Jeff, uh, you know, he's, he's found a good space. He's a really good person. He's not, um, you, this is no indictment to Steve Adazio who was there. Steve Adazio was a fiery, you know, offensive line coach that would like get into people's face and, and it was very intense. Jeff's intense, but he's just not that way. He really supports the kids. He uses his NFL background to help prepare them as best they can. Um, you know, he's not a yeller or screamer in that way, but his staff, they, they do a good job of developing these guys. And he really takes a lot of, you know, a lot of pride into that. And that's something that it's coming along the way. You know, you'll always hear the noises. And even when you look now at five and three, two of their losses are to teams that are in the top 15 in the country. So they don't look as bad as you think. Um, the Northern Illinois loss, you know, obviously stings, but you know, you'll see that every week. I mean, you guys have seen it. Look, look at what's happened in the ACC this year, right? You have Louisville beat Notre Dame. And then the next week they go and lose to Pitt. Georgia Tech loses to BC. And then the next week they go beat UN, UNC, right? There's, there's games like we can go down the list about teams that have had big games and won, um, and haven't and the the list you know will go on and on but you know for coach Halfley and his job security it's he doesn't talk about it he doesn't think about it I think he's proud of the team and how they've responded to the early season adversity and and they're just really focused on continuing to compete and continuing to kind of put that full 60 minute game which I think he would say they haven't done yet when you look at the BC program and compare it to the Syracuse program they've done you know better in recruiting uh, you you see the two six win seasons in 2020 and 2021, which would be as many you know six six or more win seasons as Dino Babers has had. Um, over you know this is his eighth season as head coach. 
Do you think, you know, Syracuse's program can learn anything from a, a kind of a comparable school in the Northeast and in the ACC in BC from the way that Jeff Halfley is running things in, in Chestnut Hill? I think both schools would tell you that six wins is not enough that they want. I think the standard needs to be a little higher at both. Um, I don't really think Syracuse is going to learn a lot from BC or, or vice versa. I think they're probably emulating some programs that have had some more sustained success, to be blunt. Um, I think they're – and I, both schools would say that six wins is is not the the goal each year, right? You want to be higher. You want to strive for higher. So I, I'm, I'm thinking that they're they're probably looking to, to, to raise the bar. Now, that being said is how do you go about it, right, with whether it's NIL, whether it's transfer – it's finding a way to to do all those things and to put a more competitive team on the field without losing the culture of your locker room, right? Because you want guys that are going to be there and stay there um, their entire time. And it's not guys that are just kind of coming and you're renting guys that are one-year guys and coming in and coming out because it's tough to establish a culture there. So I think for both Syracuse and BC that they need to continue to embrace who they are, uh, recruit towards that, and then build that strong culture where people are going to want to come there and be a part of it, still get compensated, but it may not be like the top dollars, but I think there's a lot of misconception out there that there's, you know, teams that are signing million dollar deals for every single player on the roster. And it's just not the truth. There's, there's money out there. Don't get me wrong. Cause it's, it, there always is, but the amounts that are being thrown out there are probably not in the same ballpark that a lot of people realize. Well, something we know for sure is that Syracuse and BC will be playing each other a lot in the coming years. One of the protected rivalries in the new ACC scheduling format. Looking at the matchup mm -hmm. specifically this week, obviously Thomas Castellanos is at the top of the, the scouting report and Robichaux being number two on the offensive side. But what does some things, whether it be defense, offense, that BC does that Syracuse really needs to account for if they want to, well, keep it competitive because they haven't done it in a, the last couple of weeks against their opponents? Well, momentum is fleeting, good and bad. So you just never know uh, in that way. Syracuse has a good offense. You guys are, you know, the ability to run the football. I like Schrader as a quarterback. I've liked him for the last couple of times I've seen him. Um, you know, it, it all just depends on who can seize the momentum first <laughs> and who can take, uh, you know, take advantage of it. I think for BC, it's their focal point is their offensive line. You watch those guys, you got five guys across the board there that are pretty talented players, and four of them are, you know, maybe even five of them could play in the NFL uh, coming out of this. So they're going to, BC offensively is going to rely on that and use the dynamic athletic abilities of Thomas Castellanos. Um, Robichaux has been a great addition as well. He's a big power back that's not afraid to run behind his line and his pads. Uh, and then the receivers, are, you know, there's some explosiveness there. Um, Lewis Bond is a guy who's jumped on the scene. He, you know, he's not a Zay Flowers type where you kind of see those um, short, you know, quick explosive moves. He's a little bit of a longer strider, but he's a tough kid. He's got solid hands. Um, he's made some big plays in the passing game um, for the Eagles as well. And, and they they have a couple, you know, different guys that can go out and, and, and catch the ball as well. So, you know, really a really diverse offense and then a defense that needs to play aggressive and kind of get after people to uh, – to maybe get by another possession for that offense. Cause the more times the offense has the ball, the more likely they are to do something positive. Well, Syracuse's offense on the other hand has been pretty abysmal over, over the past, you know, three to four games to, to say the least. Um, they talk about it after every game and every week, you know, we have to start fast. We have to start fast. And then each time have not started fast. 
um, whether it be a three and out or or a turnover on the opening drive. How important has starting fast been for, for Boston College? And do you think if they get off to a, a fast start against Syracuse that, you know, we've seen, you know, if a team scores first against Syracuse, the game has then gotten out of hand. Is it, I mean, the spread right now I'm seeing is, is the orange favored by two and a half, which seems like it, it, right. It, it's right. It, I could have seen either team favored anywhere between, you know, three points. Um, but if BC ends up starting fast in this game, do you think we, you know, we, as in, you know, the Syracuse population here could be in for, for a fifth straight blowout? Well, you know, you never know. That's why they, they play them. Right. And I did look and, you know, in the last four games, I think Syracuse averaging eight and a half points a game while giving up what 32 and a half or a 38 and a half on the other. It's end. not good. Whatever it is. It's not yeah. good. I looked that up, but you know, and you mentioned starting fast. BC does not start fast. They just haven't this year. What they have done well is finish strong. Uh, BC's outscored their opponents by 48, 47 or 48 points in the fourth quarter. Um, and that's a testament to the type of offense I think they run. You're right, because by the, if they're on the field a while, they're going to wear defenses down. But they haven't started fast. So maybe this is a battle of super slow starters, or maybe because they're they're playing at night, everyone's going to wake up and be up for the first half. And then, you know, who knows what happens in the second half, but <laughs> I think you're talking about both teams that have aspired to start fast and haven't. Um, so you, you, you just don't know in these games, especially the BC Syracuse games, and especially in the, in the dome. Um, I've been there a ton. It's always weird things happen in the dome. Uh, I've been, yeah, I've been a part of some weird ones playing wise and been a part of some ones where I've walked out of there scratching my head. Like, I don't know how that happened, but it did, uh, you know, and it's your, you're the only night game. So it's like, you're the focal point. So maybe these guys will rise up to the challenge of being uh, the, the only show in town, but we'll see. And maybe it's a battle of who starts, whoever starts first or starts fastest wins, but uh, you know, it, it's tough to say. I think they're, they're pretty evenly matched on both sides. I think turnovers are going to be a big, a big factor. They always are, you know, turnovers and third down conversions are, are going to be big. You know, Thomas Castellanos has turned the football over with, with interceptions. I think he has seven or nine on the year and then he's got a couple fumbles. I, I know Syracuse Trader has been sacked like 25 times. You guys have given up 27 sacks. So, uh, you know, it's going to be the team that makes the least amount of mistakes and, and then the teams that capitalize on mistakes. You mentioned, you know, me having memories in the dome, what are what are some oh. of your favorite your favorite playing or or you know spectating memories when it comes to Boston College and and Syracuse matchups? Um, all right, my favorite one as a player, and this is kind of well, it's just kind of funniest moment as a player, I guess, was um, it was either ninety five or ninety seven where you're playing in the dome, and Marvin Harrison was returning punts for Syracuse. And our special teams coach all week was like, all right, we're not going to kick it to him. We're going to angle kicks. We're going to kick it high. We're going to do all this stuff. And like, Yeah, perfect. And like the first punt of the game, punter comes in. He was a freshman. So it was 95. And he kicks a line drive shot to Marvin Harrison right down the middle who caught it on the dead run and then just went like 65 yards for a touchdown. And as, you know, the, the punter was peeling back to – you know, to go make the tackle, he he got blindsided. This is before that rule existed, right? He got blindsided and kind of got his bell rung. 
And as he gets to the sidelines, the, you know, he's kind of shaking his head. And the special teams coach is like, what? I told you. What did he? I told you not to kick it to him. We practiced all week not doing that. And he's kind of looking at him. And then one of the guys on the punt team just comes over and just totally just goes and punches him right in the face. And I started dying laughing. And I'm like, good. You deserved it. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was one of my funny moments on that. One is a spectator is, I'm, I'm sure you guys is, um, you know, Syracuse fans. I don't know if you guys grew up watching Syracuse or, or not. Syracuse was great um, for my favorite play down by the goal line where they go play action bootleg to the right and sneak a tight end out to the left. It, you know it's coming. It happens every time, and the guy's always wide open. And you guys did it to beat BC, I think, on, like, one of the last plays of the game. And one of the first years I was broadcasting, and I was in the end zone, and I was like, here it comes, here it comes. And then it came, and then you see it, and then it lands right in front of my face. And then you just drop the mic and just start walking up to the booth. Like, I was just like, I can't watch this. This is just too painful. Uh, we'll see if, if, if Dino Babers and Jason Beck bring out the, uh, the sneaky tight end, you know, play action play yeah. in the red zone. If Syracuse is even able to get in the red zone on, uh, on Friday night. Scott can't can't thank you enough for your time. You guys are uh, kind of you guys are kind of Lou Holtzing me in the talking down about Syracuse and this. I, like I, I'll feel bad for us. It's like this is like I've seen this game before. I know what you guys are doing. And we're I, not. I, I, I can't, we're not no, in, no intention. No intention <laughs> from it. It's the last. The last. The last four weeks have been, or five weeks plus the bye, have been a, a very interesting football scene here at Syracuse. It's been. It's <laughs> been. It's been bad. Well, what's the vibe for like in the in the area? What are the thoughts on on Babers and what what is where's been the disconnect after the the four and zero start? I I mean I've been at I was at North Carolina, I was at Florida State, I was at Virginia Tech three in a row, and after each game, he's he him and all the players have come out and said we've been you know we've been executing in practice. It's just not translating, and yeah. I, I I like it's just like it's so hard to sift through the the coach and player speak of mm-hmm. like are there actual issues here or are they just not you know talented or prepared enough and well, is I, they, what is it playing on the road is it that is it they did, they did play three games on the road um mm-hmm. but they had a buy in between two and i would say i mean virginia tech i would say is pretty comparable to where syracuse is at at the moment and they just came out and absolutely boat raced them i understand losing big at Florida state. I mean, North Carolina was hot when Syracuse played North Carolina, but then, you know, you look back and you lost by 17 at home to Clemson, who is also four and four and you lost by 33 to a North Carolina team that then lost at home to Virginia, who everyone thought was the worst team in the ACC. So uh, maybe Syracuse just has played teams at the wrong time, or it's their actual there's an actual disconnect between coach yeah. and player, but I, I think, I've, I think if, if things go poorly on Friday night, then I, I don't see how some sort of change cannot be made. It, yeah. I, I don't know if it'll be a coaching change, but something has to change. It's, it's more about the offense too. It's like, there's just been no movement whatsoever. Like for most, there's like one drive every here and then that they can move the ball. Um, but there's been no movement. And then, after the Florida State game, um, the the comments that were made were that the offense was going to get better because of the easier schedule down the stretch. And then you come out of the bye week and the offense looks probably worse than what it looked like in Florida State is also contributing factors. 
Yeah, I mean, is it is it your offensive line? Is it the skill guys? Is it the play calling? I guess it, I'm I having think, a tough time because I, I think like it's a the quarterback. I've liked him. He's a tough kid. No, Schrader Schrader's definitely good. good. He's he's yeah. I, the problem. The problem I keep finding is that it's Jason Beck and Robert and I last year are are a pass first offense, and Garrett Schrader is a a good quarterback, but he's not like a, a drop back and throw the football quarterback who's going to go through his progressions and find his second or, or third receiver who's open. The intermediate mm-hmm. passing game has been talked about a lot as just being completely non-existent. Um, and Schrader has been a, a one read. And then if his first option isn't open, he tries to tuck the ball and run. And he talked about that after Virginia tech, that he has to do a better job of, of not taking you know losses on early downs. Cause Syracuse has been behind the chains a lot, but I don't, I don't know how, the, I don't know how feasible that is to change in the middle of a season to, uh, improve your progressions like that. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause I watched the, the Purdue game. Um, and you guys, you know, he played well in that game. And, and I've seen him in the last couple of years, obviously. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, the intermediate passing game. It's something that go watch and just, you know, you don't need to like watch every single game and break them down, but go watch a lot of the successful teams in college football. The teams that can do that are the teams that win. Obviously, yeah. you have to have explosive plays, right? You got to be able to run football. You got to be able to stop, not turn the football, blah, blah, blah. The teams that can actually throw and run a consistent intermediate passing games are the teams that win. And it's a thing that is, it's like a, it's like a 17 footer in, in hoops, right? No one wants to take it because it's not a three and it's not a dunk, right? The intermediate passing game has become that kind of part of football that not a, pe- a, lot, of, a lot of people really want to use it where they can run, you know, just simple pass comp, you know, concepts where you're running some high low floods where you're running some, you know, some crossing stuff you just you don't see enough of it anymore but to have the ability to do it is a separating factor uh, for that unless you have an absolutely dynamic quarterback I think those are the two things in college football if you have a dynamic quarterback they can change a lot of stuff you know right they make as I say it makes everything better the food tastes better the school the weather looks better your girlfriend looks better like (laughs) everything else is better uh, when you have a good quarterback Um, and but that in the intermediate passing game is is really important. I, I think that you don't see enough of it, not a lot of focus on it. But yeah, it's interesting to hear your guys' take um, on this as well because we're we are always emotional in the middle of the week, guys, right? Because we yeah. always get caught up in like it's either the worst or the best, and it's tough because when you're sitting there watching it, you're just like, well, it's kind of in between. So I think I think that's kind of where we're both at. BC's probably not as good as the four win winning streak. Syracuse probably isn't as bad as a four game losing streak. And now it's just going to become, you know, who's who's less mediocre, I guess, right? <laughs> that, that is that is the question we'll be trying to to answer on uh, on Friday night. Scott, th- can't thank you enough. Uh, it was great to chat with you, uh, and really appreciate you taking some time ahead of Friday's game. Yeah, my pleasure. Looking forward to it. But I do have one, one more question because I'm going to have some more time there. Uh, I always do dinosaur the, day, the night before the game, but I got some time on Friday. Any recommendations for me? I'm not coming to your guys' frat houses, the gas beers. I mean, it would be fun, but I, I wouldn't be very, do my job very well. But, you know, and unfortunately, I got to get on the bus afterwards, so I can't oblige that. <laughs> but normal situations, I'd happy to do it. Um, um, where would I say? Um what are you what are you looking for? Are you looking for like a, a lunch spot or yeah, sure. Yeah, a lunch spot. Uh a Something couple uh, 
a couple and of the don't delis. send me down like yeah don't send me into like some place where i'm gonna get beat up because it's because <laughs> i don't want to get sabotaged because then i will find you and then we'll have some issues <laughs> uh, a couple of the lunch place that there's a, a some a couple of delis called there's one deli called lombardi's the great italian sandwiches um oh, and then another place oh, we've called, had those uh, after the game yeah thanos, the thanos is also thanos, lunch, thanos uh, was gonna be my second recommendation as a deli uh if you're looking for thanos um, the, like the wait like the avengers dude yeah, well, that, yeah, like the That's yes, like the event, that, yeah. like the Avengers, dude. But um, um, also the uh, restaurant right next to Dinosaur, a pizza. It's like a pizza Italian place. That's actually pretty, pretty good too. Really? Yeah. All right. Yes, yeah. All right. If if don't you guys are gonna get really nasty uh, <laughs> Twitter Twitter callouts if this is if someone spits in my food or if I you know anything happens, I'm gonna definitely. Now that I got your names <laughs> and I know that you're from Jersey and 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 uh jersey and connecticut so now i know where to find you guys that was yeah, I, we would never laps. steer any of our we would never steer any of our guests wrong here scott uh good luck <laughs> right. good luck getting Famous to syracuse good luck getting to syracuse and uh excited to see you at the game on friday thanks nice to, nice to see you jordan Ethan. thanks for the time guys thank you so much again to scott for his time looking forward to seeing him on friday uh, we talked about Ostrom picks last week, uh, mentioned it with, with Scott that Syracuse currently a two and a half point favorite over Boston College. Uh, last week, it was around the same same area, around a three point favorite for Virginia Tech. I picked the Hokies to win and cover, excuse me, Jordan, for some odd reason, decided to pick Syracuse to win and uh, and cover the spread. Um, and now I have taken the lead in Ostrom picks, uh, just like we all knew would happen. Um, Jordan, you know, he he was confident. He was he was talking a big game about about you know how we were tied or how he was leading and now I've caught I've run him down um, and now I'm going for, going for the kill this week and uh, as we sit here on, on Wednesday morning I, I see no reason to believe that Syracuse can win a football game at the moment and I'm going to pick Boston College I like getting points uh, I'm going to take BC to win and cover uh, I didn't know you I didn't know you were going to announce your picks I. I was believing in the juice coming after the bye week, Ethan. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm an optimist, on, unlike maybe you are. But uh, yes, I mean, having learned from my mistakes last week, I don't see myself picking Syracuse once again until they prove that they can actually score more than I don't know a touchdown and a field goal in a game. Um, but we'll 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 see if the Orange can uh, pull it out. But yes, you have caught me. I was a little bit uh over my head and heels when I had my lead early in the season, but. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. We'll see what happens, but it seems like we're both leaning towards taking Boston College and the points on on Friday evening. The over under will be interesting. I picked. We both picked the over in the Virginia Tech game, and then you know Syracuse was uh, unable to score, so they over uh, did not. Or the over the over. No, did the hit, over did it. hit because Boston College. It was uh, forty seven, and it was thirty eight to ten was the final. Oh yes, because of the the, the very late score in that game. You know, um, Dino so- Babers taking that field goal. That really saved That's true. us. That was good. Uh, that was good. You know, to go from a 23 point game to a 20 point game, you have to do it every time. Um, we'll see. We'll see what kind of coaching decisions Dino comes up with on Friday. Uh, we'll have full coverage of the game as always on our Twitter at Ostrom Avenue pod, where you can find our thoughts and analysis. Our video interview with Scott is on, will be on YouTube, uh, the Ostrom Avenue podcast, YouTube account, all of our video interviews live there. Be sure to check it out. And then, you know, all of our coverage on W8YR sports and W8YR sports talk coverage starts at seven, uh, before the game kicks off at seven 30 and then post game all the way until 12.30 a.m. 
with the double overtime. It'll be an interesting one. It'll be a fun one. Uh, hopefully a good one to talk about and 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 watch and listen to. Um, so be sure to check us out on all our social pages and then uh, recap and more coverage on WAER.org. Jordan, any final thoughts? This is a deciding week in Syracuse's football season. If if they lay another egg, it's it's even steeper downhill the rest of the way from here. We will see what happens on Friday night, but change could possibly be abound in central New York. Thanks for listening to the Ostrom Avenue podcast made possible. Thanks to you, the listener and our friends at Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their continued support of the Ostrom Avenue podcast with Jordan. I'm Ethan saying so long. We'll catch you next week. Who knows what's going to happen in Syracuse until then. Have a good one, everyone.